We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. While you're turning there, and by the way, if you're just joining us this morning, just walking in, there are, if you don't have the book, this book that's on the back counter in the foyer, this is the book we're wrapping up in our going through for the last year and a half or more that we've been able to meet. Uh, there are handouts for what we're covering today. They're right on the, um, on the podium right outside the door. While you're turning, let me ask you just a few questions. Get our minds working so that we get a smile a little bit. If you heard a uh, noise in your house in the middle of the night, what would you do? Wake up the wife. Up the wife. Okay, okay. That's, that's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Get a, have her get up and check it out. Great. What would you do? What? Get your pistol. Oh, you're tough. You're tough. Don't go to Lloyd's house at night. That's, what else do people do? Turn on lights? Oh, that's a good answer. It's not up there, though. Okay. What's that? Pull up the covers? <laughs> Me, I'd pretend I'm still tired. That's what I would do. Here's what they said. Call the police. Wake up someone else. Get scared. Nothing. And the first thing was investigates. Like some of you would send your spouse to do it. Name a good reason to have a party. Birthday. Birthday. Graduation. Anniversary. Do you do that? No. No. <laughs> Well, anything else for a good for a celebration? Wedding, wedding. Here's what they said: work promotion, birth of a baby, bar mitzvah, holiday, wedding, and graduation. Birthday wasn't even listed. Can you believe it? Okay, of college students. Here's the question to modern day college students: Name a place for you to study. The library, the dorm room, where? Starbucks. It's up there. Okay. Anywhere else that they may study? Okay. Park? What? Outside? Here's what they said. Parents' kitchen. Does that tell you a lot about it? Okay. Study hall, coffee shop, library. Number one is bedroom or dorm. Name something you keep in your wallet. License. Credit cards. Money. Pictures, photos, yeah. Here's what they had, insurance cards, family photos, license, credit cards, money. Here, this one, name a place you travel to usually once a week. Once, work once a week? <laughs> modern day is probably true, modern day, yeah. Okay, groceries, restaurant, church, gas station. You guys pretty much got most of them. Restaurant, relatives home, kids sports activity, work, Store, number one, once a week for most people. Church was number one. So what we're talking about is why we're sitting in church is we're talking about training people, getting people to understand their Bible when they come to church or prepare them for that. And so we've been going through this booklet called Foundations, and it's just a basic doctrinal uh, study. We are in the topics now at the very end, the last two chapters. We'll finish up the one and begin the other. And the one chapter that we're wrapping up this morning is on stewardship. Did I lo get locked out, guys? I am locked out. Okay, you have to do something for me, please. Um, so we have, there we go. Thank you. 
Um, so we've talked about these things already. Who should give how often, et cetera, et cetera. The last section of that part of the book that talks about giving is why should we give? And we started talking about this last week. Obedience to the Lord, that's a motivation because God has commanded us to be giving unto him. We looked at those verses. Then also where we were last week, we were talking about love for the Lord where he talks about the idea in 2 Corinthians gathering a gift that they were going to send to the peoples that were experiencing famine in Jerusalem. He had talked to them previously about it and now he says, what I want you to do is follow through. Prove the sincerity of your love. You've talked about it. It's easy to, it's easy to talk about giving. It's easy to talk about how you love other people. But you've got to put action where the mouth is. And that's what he said. Proof of sincerity. Proof of your love. So it's the idea of love for God and love for others. And then there was the last thought was gratitude. The idea of being, gra- uh, being thankful. And he gives us an illustration of what the Lord even gave. How the Lord gave him himself. That uh, he became poor because of our need for grace. And so we have the example of Christ. And we're thankful for what God has done because he first loved us. So we give in a way that shows our appreciation. And at the, as he wraps up uh, this one section, he points us to the very last verse of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 9, 1 Corinthians, where he has, he has been talking about giving in chapters 8 and 9, all of a sudden he ends up with the phrase, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. So out of gratitude, we're thankful we give to the Lord. Now, here's a section we didn't get to, and I wanted to make sure we get to it today because it's very important. You're training somebody about giving and how they handle their charity for the Lord. Um, We would say, okay, we're supposed to give out of obedience. It glorifies God. What are some of the benefits for giving? One of the benefits that he points out, that they point out in the book, is this. It says it'll benefit your church. That's an obvious. As we give to the Lord's work, we're giving to our local church, and our local church is able to use those funds to meet its needs in order to do ministries. What are the needs that the church has needs so that as to be able to do ministry, what are some of the needs that a church has? Okay, got to pay staff. What else? Okay, facilities. What else? Utilities. Furthering the gospel. It's going to cost to be able to do that. Other needs that churches have? Other, other ideas? Responsibilities that we have? Okay, to help out other individuals. Okay, let's talk about the one that was mentioned. You mentioned it, okay? And that is facilities. Never in the New Testament does it talk about our giving be used to take care of rent, mortgage, insurances, or properties. Why not? They didn't do them at the beginning. Where did they meet when they first started the New Testament church? Uh, Initially, where did they meet? They met in the synagogues or in some of the temple areas. And so they used the religious institution like the Church of Jerusalem. There was around the temple, on the outskirts of the temple proper, the, if you remember or look at one of your uh, pictures in the back, there was all kinds of rooms that they could meet and teach. The Jewish rabbis would meet there. That's where they would teach. That's where they would teach the young men, like Jesus when he was 12 years old, and he's in that conversation with the rabbi leaders. There was classrooms, like all the way around our auditorium, would be the idea. And so they met there until when? Not not a time, but something's happened in the New Testament. Then they were forced out. 
Okay, all of a sudden you got the, you got the persecution happening. And the persecution is saying, okay, Paul's coming along and they're stoning people. Well, if you were meeting as a group of believers, you wouldn't hold your service in the temple proper area when they have put out warrants to kill you. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, you go to a place where you can do it more in secret. So there was a transition. And when they started churches, they started them initially the same way we would start churches. And we've done it several times. When you go to and start a church, you get a place like a home. You start meeting in the home. And that's very convenient. But then what typically happens with most homes? You grow out of them. You grow out of them. Now, the problem, and by the way, just I'll do a little bit of history and then we'll come back to it. Um, we know that within the, within the period of like 100 to 200, buildings were being built. There's archaeological evidence. For those who say, well, in the New Testament, they never, you know, they never met in a church building. That's true, okay, initially, but very early in church history. They started building church buildings, buildings that they would use, even with baptistries in them. We have, there's no doubt about that. Even by the year of right around the 300s, when Constantine came into authority and he started making the church non- uh, throughout the empire. The, he made the church where the, yeah, the persecutions stopped initially. There weren't many persecutions. They started building churches and then from about 150 to 300 there was a lot of persecution and the buildings weren't going on. People were meeting more underground. Well then at the early 300s with Constantine they started rebuilding buildings again because it became legal without any threat to be able to meet again. And so that idea that churches never used facilities, that's just not true historically. That's inaccurate. Didn't happen in the New Testament. Churches weren't basically growing fast enough or big enough or facility-wise they had other options. And so when they started building facilities that meant that, okay, we have to start dealing with it. Now, in our culture, can you meet in a home as an organized church? Not normally you can't. Why not? Well, people claim, by the way, there's a whole movement that claimed we're a church, we're meeting in our house, and therefore my house is tax-exempt. Well, that went out the window quickly. Typically for assemblies to meet, what has to happen with the facilities? Or with... there's, There's zoning, there's building permits. We live in a day and age that this happens, Yes. We, even though we built this building, we couldn't meet in here until we passed and got a permit. Okay? That's legal requirements. But we're a church. We don't have to follow the law. No. No. They're not saying we can't meet to worship. They're saying, though, we, in order to meet to worship in this one spot, you have to follow codes. Okay? Now, do we like all the codes that are done with building? Probably not. Probably not. There's additional expenses to them. But we're living in a day and an age, and it's not just us. It's been for, for decades and decades and decades, that buildings have to have certain co- By the way, why do they put those codes in place? To keep us from worshiping? No. It's a safety. Would Christians ever fudge? to have facilities that could be unsafe? They shouldn't. But would that ever happen? 
Oh, sure. Sure. And so uh, the government in helping to protect, they have different things. And so we live in a day and age where um, we need to have zoning properties. Once we're organized, once somebody does all of those constituting that they're a formal church and fill out those, the documents, and those documents are important for ownership, corporation, protection, tax exemption. And by the way, if they ever come to a point where they start infringing on us in our operation, we have no qualms with giving up tax-exempt status. Yes? No? Okay. <laughs> if, Pastor Artson is ready. To, he's, he, I think he's telling me, don't go any further because that's his message. Okay. <laughs> But, for instance, for instance, if they tell us, if they tell us, we have, if we did this, if we, we don't do this, if we hired uh, a person to play piano or an organ, and we hired them from the community, and they said, you have to hire anybody, no matter what their status, as far as marriage, okay, including, okay, um, including the idea that they would have a gay marriage, you have to hire them or you lose your tax-exempt status. That's fine. We, it's a privilege. If, if we lose it, we lose it. That's fine. Okay? So he'll talk more about that this evening and some aspects of it that will be very interesting for you. Um, the uh, church buildings, so we don't read about them, but we know that they're an entity, and so part of our responsibility is paying for things uh, with buildings that we can meet. So we have that. But what is mentioned in the New Testament is providing for the leaders in the church. That is, the pastors, the preachers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I wanted just to highlight this text as we move along, but this is, um, I, I don't know about you, when we first got saved, this was a discussion in our household um, about preachers and should they be paid. We had some saved relatives that came from down south that we didn't know anything about them being saved until we got born again, and all of a sudden they revealed to us that they were saved, and they visited our family, and we had a wonderful time of, of fellowship with them, but they were very dogmatic on the idea that preachers who love the Lord do not take pay. If they, if they are hucksters, they take pay. And it's not right for churches to pay preachers. Is that true biblically? Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, we start with verse 6. <clears throat> I only am Barnabas. Have we the power to forbear working? Who goes to war at any time at his own expenses? Who plants a vineyard and eats not from the fruit thereof? Who feeds a flock and eats not from the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law itself the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the mouth of the ox that is treading out the corn. Does God take care of the oxen? Yes, that's how he does it. Or saith he altogether for our sakes, For our sakes no doubt it is written, That he that plows should plow in hope, That he that threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope, Of what they do, of their labors. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, Is it a great thing if we would reap from you carnal things? Carnal things he's talking about is what? Okay, getting some financial assistance. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we also, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live off of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live 
How? Of the gospel. It's not, it's not reference in context of godly living. That's a, that's a gimme. What's he talking about in context? Living of the gospel. Financially being supported through the preaching opportunities. And so Paul in this text, he is saying, and just to give you the general gist, Paul is saying, I have the right to expect from you some financial support, but because it's becoming such a problem in your church, because you're denying whether or not I'm of Christ, I'm giving up that right, but I'm not advocating that for others. But this is what he's doing for himself. And that's why he reverted to that tent-making ministry. He points out financial support was his right. He points out as well, he says, don't you know, temple workers. And he's referring to in all of society as a whole. That it's just commonplace, common practice that those even in the secular as well as in, the, as well as in where he's in Christianity, people live off of where they invest their time, the temple uh, where they work. He said Christ commanded gospel preachers be supported. He said that even if the animals benefit from their labors, even if the ar- farmers benefit from their labors, and he used the soldiers as well, that they are benefited. Therefore it is reasonable that those who sow spiritual seed should benefit financially from those who receive the seed. The same ideas given of giving financial support to gospel preachers is mentioned 1 Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule, elders are pastors, who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For, the scripture says, and he references that same idea, don't muzzle the ox and the laborer is worthy of his hire. Galatians, who, one who is taught in the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. For third John, you do well to send them, the itinerant preachers, on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing of the Gentiles. And so the idea is we don't go to the community to have support. We, we are supposed to be giving support to the preachers within the body of Christ. And so he talks about that idea of support. But somebody mentioned charity for the widows, charity for support of those who have needs. We read about that in the book of Acts, chapter 4, chapter 5. They sold all things. They made distribution. The disciples determined every man to his ability to send relief. Let us do good to everyone, especially those in the household. If anyone has the world's good, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide? So we have responsibility as a body of Christ to help out those who have needs. So our financial support assists, especially it is pointed out, we're to help the widows who have needs. And that's why we have deacons first started, honor the widows who truly are widows. But if anyone, and this is, this is the context of that verse, if you don't provide for your own household, that you're worse than an infidel. It's in context that you're supposed to be supporting your senior relatives. It's not the church isn't the first responsible party, it's the family. But do some families abdicate their responsibility? Yes. Do, uh, do, does the world in general have the idea that, hey, they're on their own, they should have taken care of it. He says, we as a church should be different than that. So we meet our needs, but there is another reason, a benefit of giving. It helps your needs to be met. 
It helps your needs to be met. We have this promise in Philippians. My God shall supply all your need. But in the previous two verses, he's talking about how those people gave to help Paul in his ministry. So in context, it's those who give first. He that sows abundantly shall reap abundantly. Your barn shall be filled, Proverbs 3. The idea of if you give the Lord of your first fruits. So we have that idea, but there's a paragraph that I really think we need to stop and read. It's in your notes if you want to catch it and highlight it. This is, this is so important for modern 2021 Christianity. Because are there people preaching, if you give and sacrifice, you're going to get rich? Are there people preaching that? Oh, my. Yeah, go ahead and turn on TV and watch Joel Osteen for a while. Okay? Go listen to, um, who's the woman? Joyce Myers. Listen to her for a bit. Okay, uh, the older gentleman down south, um, huge ministries, Kenneth Copeland. Listen to these guys for a bit. Listen for a bit, and they're going to talk about if, and by the way, if you sow a little seed and give to, give to a ministry, and then you claim that seed, you're going to have your bank account overflowing. Typically, who, who are you supposed to give that little seed of money to? Okay, and does the Bible promise? Oh, you, and it goes this way too. God never intended anybody to be ill. Nobody should be sick. Is that true biblically? No, no, no. But it says he heals all of our diseases. In that context of that verse, he's talking about what diseases? The spiritual. Okay, do godly people ever get sick? Do godly people ever die? Oh, by the way, read in your Old Testament. How many people have died who are godly? All of them up to this point. What about the apostles? Yeah, okay. And so uh, this paragraph, the, oh, excellent. Notice that physical provision is listed as a blessing of stewardship, not a motivation for it. While God does promise to meet our needs, and while it's true that God cannot, you cannot outgive God, the emphasis many teachers place on giving to get is absolutely contrary to scriptures. Okay, so we, we need to be very careful with this. This is that health and wealth gospel that distorts scripture. It's, it's not true that everybody who gives is going to get wealthy. Can I prove it? Look in a mirror. Okay. As you give, okay, God's met your needs, but it doesn't necessarily make, make everyone here wealthy. They claim that if you give, often to them, you will get rich. But God never promised to make all of us rich in the goods of this world or to escape all difficulties, illnesses, and suffering. There is a video I saw just two, three weeks ago and it's called The American Gospel. Uh, Christ is the Center, or I forget. We, I, I forget the exact name. Um, it's about a two-hour program. Excellent, excellent ex- explanation, expose on what's going on in this movement in America. I've got to get it to you so you can look it up and watch it. He will meet what he knows we need. God promises to meet our needs, not our wants. Okay, so that's very, very important. But as I give, the Lord's going to take care. Okay, it'll result in spiritual rewards. He points out God is not unrighteous to forget our labor in that you minister to the saints. He's going to remember that. He will not forget what you have done even though others don't know about it. And then this comment that says in your paragraph, the Holy Spirit calls people 
who work together, they call them co-laborers with those who are on the front lines of the gospel. You are co-laborers with all of our missionaries by the financial support that you give. And so that's a way that we can lay up treasures in heaven is the idea of investing in ministries, missionaries, different things of that sort. And then we conclude with this. Jesus has, has it recorded in the Word of God. It says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you know that's true. You've experienced that. As you give to your kids, as you give to family, as you give to the Lord's work, you experience the joy that comes as a result. Of now, there's a section in this book that is really excellent. They deal with a lot of questions that we're not going to take time to. You can read it. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, uh, affect or challenge your intelligence. You can read the paragraphs for yourself. But a lot of really good paragraphs, a lot of really good questions that are worth answering.